I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas, and we're always thankful to offer these video classes, and we're thankful that you have joined. This is all about being nourished by and kept strong by the Word of God. We are in the book of Mark, continuing in chapter 6 this time. By now you are aware of our format. We simply read through the chapter with brief comments after each paragraph, and then our discussion time, and eventually our takeaways. So we start this time in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his household. And he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. From his previous location near the Sea of Galilee, Jesus came to his own country, or his hometown, Nazareth. Remember, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. His family home was in Nazareth. During his Galilean ministry, he worked often out of Capernaum. The setting in Mark chapter 6, in the opening verses, Nazareth. And it says, he began to teach. At this point, as I mentioned in a previous class, Mark is taking these narrative sketches toward the truth about who Jesus is. He is tracking this subject for us. So as Jesus is teaching in Nazareth, many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? See, they knew his hands. They knew his family. We know the answer to these questions because we have completed Bibles sufficient to lead us to faith in Christ. This is all new to these people, this hometown boy, with all of this wisdom and all of these powers. They knew his family, and they didn't explain everything he said and did according to who he really was, but rather according to his hometown and his family. Verse 6 says that he marveled because of their unbelief. 7 through 13. Mark 6, 7 through 13. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. 
he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The appointing of the twelve we covered in a previous passage. This is Mark's brief account of sending them out. The message was to repent. And as they delivered this message, demons were cast out and the sick were healed by the power of God working through these men. And this account we've read is sometimes called the limited commission to differentiate this from their work after the resurrection, which we commonly call the great commission. Mark 6, 14 through 29. Mark 6, 14 through 29. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Now, beginning at verse 17, Mark goes back to explain this. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. 
And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. Immediately, the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Mark, remember, began his writing by introducing John the Baptist. That's back in the opening of chapter 1. Just as there was some confusion in Galilee over who Jesus was, the identity of John was a subject of a great deal of talk and speculation among those not really familiar with the prophets. We are here introduced to the Herod family, and they were a soap opera. Let's take a minute to meet the Herods. There was Herod the Great, who dispatched his soldiers with orders to kill all male children two years and under. He didn't succeed, but his intent was to destroy Jesus. Here in Mark chapter 6, Herod Antipas, who beheaded John the Baptist. Herod Agrippa I, who killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, Acts chapter 12. Well, Herod Agrippa I, who killed James and was eaten by worms, left behind a teenage son who was given political authority by Claudius. Herod Agrippa II, who said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So that's the Herod family in brief. This isn't a family you want to invite to your child's birthday party. All right, here in Mark chapter 6, Mark becomes briefly a historian, giving us this background. King Herod, the one mentioned here, King Herod was living with a woman he had no right to have. The relationship was adulterous. Look at Mark 6, 17. He had married his brother's wife. Powerful men in that era took women they wanted. It is still happening in the world today. Powerful men often take women they want. And even in our society, there are many people who just do whatever they want about a partner without any regard for God's law of marriage at all. Well, King Herod was living with this woman in adultery. Now enter John the Baptist. We already know him to be a man of moral courage who spoke God's message plainly and called upon sinners to repent. Here, in the case of John and Herod, we have an illustration of what it means to preach repentance to power. John was an equal opportunity messenger of repentance. I mean, power or not, money or not, popular or not. John preaches repentance of sin. John said to Herod, it is not lawful 
for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias was not an innocent victim in this. She resented John's rebuke. She held it against him and wanted to kill him and found an opportunity. What hindered her for a while was that Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. Evil people can manipulate weak people to get what they desire. A birthday party was the occasion. Attraction to Herodias' daughter dancing became the occasion. An oath was made, an executioner was dispatched, and John was murdered for telling a guilty sinner his marriage wasn't lawful. Next, Mark 6, 30 to 44. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Mark 6, 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So the apostles return, give Jesus a report of their work, what they had done and what they had taught, and they'd been very busy. And I think it would be correct to say, Jesus saw that it was time for these men to have some time off. Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Mark tells us 
There were many people coming and going, no time to rest and eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But people show up. And from verse 32 down through verse 44, we have all these people being fed. And there is the record here of the miracle commonly called the feeding of the 5,000. There are three things I want to bring up having to do with this account, and then we'll continue our read-through. A significant statement is made in verse 34. Jesus was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Uh, Jesus was busy, pursued by his enemies, but he never suffered any loss of compassion for people. He saw people without guidance, without leadership, needing to know the truth from God. His compassion led him to teach them. Notice in verse 41, Jesus gave thanks. He looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples. This is certainly a good example for us to give thanks to God for our food. John's terminology is he gave a word of thanks in the Gospel of John chapter 6 and verse 11. This miracle illustrates the power of Jesus to provide more than people need. Jesus is not a Savior who just meets the minimum requirements. He gives life, and he gives it abundantly. Jesus provided food for all these people, and there were leftovers. 45 through 52. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray, and when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts, because uh, their hearts were hardened. So a few comments here. Jesus gave thanks to God for food, but here he did what he often did. He went out to be alone to pray in a more general sense, not just giving thanks to God for food, but to engage himself in prayer. And when evening came, he saw his men were undergoing some difficulty out on the sea. So he came to them walking on the sea. They saw him. They were troubled. The Lord said, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. 
he went to the boat, the storm ceased. His men, of course, were amazed. And it is here that Mark offers the comment about their immaturity, their hardness of heart. These men were learning, growing, moving gradually out of ignorance. Their heart was hardened. But we know what strong, faithful men they all became, except for Judas. The rest of chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, 53 to 56. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. If we ran all of this into a GPS, we would have Nazareth out into the sea, to the east side, the feeding of 5,000, Bethsaida, now the land of Gennesaret. Once again, Jesus is pressed by the crowd. He went into villages and cities in Galilee, and as many as touched him were made well. That brings us to the end of Mark chapter 6. I have a number of takeaways. I'll be right back. Takeaways, Mark 6. There are obvious lessons in this text about arrogant prejudice. And I want to develop that a few moments. I'm talking about people described in the first paragraph of Mark 6 who dismissed Jesus because they knew his hometown and his family. I sometimes put it this way. We are just not that smart. Here's what I mean. The fact that we know some family or some community or person and have had their acquaintance over many years never means we can dismiss them. Familiarity should not breed anything that assumes that we have some ability to predict where value will show up in people. And to that I will add, Sometimes we let ourselves become distracted by familiarity. Imagine the conversations in Nazareth, in and around Nazareth and Galilee, that area. I've known him and his family all his life. He's from Nazareth. He couldn't amount to anything. Sometimes the prejudice isn't quite that harsh. When I was first starting to preach in my college years and after, I would preach occasionally in my hometown. And there were some who didn't pay much attention to what I said because they just couldn't get beyond the fact that this was a little boy who used to ride his bike on the sidewalk. This was the little boy who once walked barefoot across the yards and played ball at the corner lot. Let me say, when it comes to hearing the word of God, hearing the word of God read, taught, admonished from the word of God, we ought to push away 
any prejudices and distractions and do what we learned back in Mark 4. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We need to be objective listeners with good, solid heart soil. Number two, Jesus didn't stop teaching. He did back away from the miracles in this place, and he would go on to another place, but he didn't change his message to appease a community, and the opposition never silenced him. We are charged to teach and preach the word, and we must never be intimidated, tempted into compromise. We may encounter prejudice or stubborn unbelief, even in the future, pressure to give up, shut up, and just absorb the pluralistic culture around us. It must be our steadfast commitment to preach and teach the word to make certain people have opportunity to hear about what God offers in and through Jesus Christ. Uh, about that episode concerning the death of John the Baptist, so many important lessons can be unpacked. This event confirms what we already know about John, his faith that produced courage in the heart of a man where there was no compromise. We would do well, all of us, to see that model of faith and courage and be people who refuse to compromise on matters of God's will. We may never be in a circumstance like John was in. We may, however, be tempted to back away from truth to save our necks, so to speak. The existence of John's example, along with everything else we know about God and his will and his people, should build in us good soil, the fruit of which would be faith and courage. Number two, about the episode with John's execution. I'll say this, one of the hardest things to do when you are preaching and teaching and studying the Bible with people is to tell people their marriage or other relationship is wrong. It is against God's will. Or it may be someone's relationship with money or alcohol or some other trans, uh, transgression. When people are attracted to someone or something that is against God's word, and we come along and we speak God's word to them, that they are wrong. It's challenging, but it's necessary work. And we want it to lead to repentance for their good. Repentance is a common theme here in this chapter. An awareness of your sin, along with godly sorrow, that leads to positive change, giving up your sin. Jesus sent out the twelve, and they went out preaching that people should repent. Immediately after that, Mark gives us an example of people who did repent. I wanted to remind us during this chapter, repentance is actually older than the gospel. God has always called upon people to give up their sin through his own direct voice to the patriarchs, through the prophets, John the Baptist, the 12, Jesus, 
And when we preach the word, part of what we must do, speak the truth about sin without compromise and urge people to give it up. Repentance, a theme here in Mark chapter 6. Thank you for watching this video. We are the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas.